Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, you Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, who've been very good within their own division. I think they're 5-1. and one. Um, I think that's right. They're two and zero against Utah, two and one against Oklahoma City, and now one and zero against Portland. But they've obviously got they haven't played uh, the Nuggets yet. And uh, but uh, the, you know they've they've done well in their division, and their record's pretty good. But as I was watching the game the other night, which I watched, I mentioned this during sports talk. Uh, the, the Wolves have gotten to the point where I'm so frustrated by Wiggy's lack of effort, by their lack of defense, by their uh, isolation ball in the fourth quarter by Tibbs constantly screaming, by Tibbs failing to play some guys off the bench that should play a lot more minutes, by the fact that Belly doesn't seem to want to get off the bench anymore and has just put his body in bubble wrap so that he can sign a contract in the offseason, that there's a lot of problems on this team that 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 isn't going to keep them out of the playoffs, but I think it's keeping them from being as good as they could be. What what really occurred to me as I was watching that Portland game, because I wasn't watching it with any great emotional involvement, because I, like I said, I spent the whole first quarter and and I, I really do say this to anybody, any of you that think Andrew Wiggins is a great young player because he has not been a great player in now three and a third years. And so the only question is, is he going to become one? And I say that when you study uh, players that are great players that came in after one year of college, by their by their first year, they're all they all struggle. Their second year, they get a little better. And Wiggy did that. And then they make a big jump in their third year. And Wiggy was static in his third year. And now Wiggy's taking a big step back in what is his fourth year. Which is a very you know, and that's why I went to give. I would not have given him the max, and I said it because he didn't make the jump in the third year that I think I would have expected him to make. But they did, so now I'm hoping he does come out of it. And, and so far, he's been terrible this year. And I watched. I just watched Wiggy the whole first quarter, and I don't think I've ever seen a player less involved on a team on either end. And I could give you numerous examples, but instead of me giving you examples, just tonight, if you watch the Wolves game for the first quarter, just as you're watching your TV. Just watch Andrew Wiggins and and tell me what what you see. And it's, I, I don't need to tell you, but the 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 concept that really came to me watching that Portland game was in the fourth quarter. Why were the Wolves winning? It was Jimmy Butler, mm-hmm. who's twenty eight, who we traded for, uh, and who's you know a top fifteen player in the league and has been tremendous over the last month. Uh, a, a Crawford. Uh, now I'm having a what Jamal Crawford, who is a crazy man on the court. Right, takes horrible shots. Is is Manny in there? Yeah, and, and you know Manny. I mean, I you can't help but but the fun thing about Jamal Crawford when you watch Wiggy and he doesn't run hard ever. You watch Jamal Crawford; he's running hard all the time. He's thirty eight, never gets tired, runs around like a chicken with his head cut off. And at least I can take a guy that takes a lot of bad shots, that hogs the ball, that 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 you know isn't a very good defensive player. But he's one of those guys that is playing with maximum effort. And when he starts making shots, you run with him. And to Tibbs' credit. As Crawford was 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 playing great in the fourth quarter, he never took Crawford out, 
And when he did put uh, Wiggins back in late in the fourth quarter, he he put him in for Taj Gibson to go small. He did not uh, replace Crawford with with Wiggins, and Wiggins was never a factor on the offense. He had a couple of baskets that, that kind of occurred off of setups or otherwise. I, in fact, I, I think Wiggins may not have scored in the fourth quarter. He did he did run down a loose ball and throw a nice diagonal pass to Crawford, who missed the three, but that was a nice play. And Wiggins also had a nice steal at the end, so he made two nice plays in his four minutes of playing, which was positive, but he was uninvolved in the offense. But the other guy who's constantly uninvolved in the offense, especially in the fourth quarter, is Carl Anthony Towns. And to me, the plan of, Th- of Tibbs was, was whether you like Wiggins or not, and I don't believe Wiggins will ever be a great player, but if you're, if, you're, if you're Tom Thibodeau and you gave him a max contract, obviously you believe that Andrew Wiggins is going to be a cornerstone of this franchise. I think that's misguided, but that doesn't matter. He's got him now. He signed him now. So you've got Towns and you've got Wiggins, yet all he does, Tibbs is so concerned with winning tonight's game that this team is being essentially, you look at key moments in late games, it's Crawford, it's Butler, it's Taj, it's Teague, and then you see you see Cat running around the perimeter and you see Wiggy standing in the corner doing nothing. And to me, this is that to me, this is like a sugar high. That instead of taking a team that's young and needs to be eating its vegetables and needs to be learning its lesson, and maybe that might cost you some wins this year, but that the, the purpose should be to develop around, especially Carl Anthony Towns. It's like it's like you're sitting there and you and you've got a table. You're gonna say, I'm gonna be a I'm gonna eat vegetarian meals for a week and you eat like two and then you see a big burger and you eat it because you're gonna feel better. It's gonna taste better and then you're gonna feel like crap that night. No, I want a burger. That's right. But but what he does is he can't help himself at the end of games because Butler's so good. He goes, Jimmy, just do everything and everybody else is standing around, and that's giving us a short term high to the perspective that we're you know a game they never should have won against Portland they win and sometimes they lose when they do this as well. I don't think it's it's necessarily. In other words, if I think if Tibbs would invoke more running the offense through Tibbs or maybe getting Wiggy the ball coming down the paint on the move, getting Wiggy involved in the offense in a way that would help his, his things, that that's what he needs to do. And what I'm not seeing is I'm not seeing development in Towns and I'm not and I'm seeing regression in Wiggy. And to me, I'll just it's just one stat. I know people don't like these stats, but that's okay. Win shares per 48 is a decent stat that attempts to measure every statistical formula that a player well, can put in. Help me, I've never heard of that a one A win share. They have win shares in baseball, So is this too. like war it's, in yes. baseball? It's like war, yeah. Okay, and, okay. Win, and it's win shares per 48, so it's adjusted to minutes. Got it. Versus just, because because Wiggy was going to have more win shares because Wiggy has played the most minutes in the league. Over the last four years, only one player has played more minutes in the league than Wiggy. Okay. So you got to adjust by, by, by minutes because he's playing so many minutes. That his win shares per 48 as a rookie were .03. Pretty bad, but but not unusual for a one-and-done. Second year, he was .069, a good improvement. Very similar to what some other great players had gotten in their second year. By the third year, you expect to see him about .11, .12. Great players like Durant were maybe .15. Uh, I believe by his third year, Harden was .21, phenomenal. And and anybody that was paying attention back then, including Paul Presti, wasn't. The, the best win share guy in his third year was not Durant. It was not Westbrook. It was Harden. And we're now seeing, I'm not saying I'd rather have Durant than Harden, but Harden's right there up with him, right? Is that you could see that that was happening. And so Wiggy under Sam had really improved. Levine under Sam had really improved. And then Tibbs comes in, and what you saw, Levine still kind of improved, but you see Wiggy didn't improve at all in year three. His win shares per 48 were about the same. And now this year's win shares per 48 are .03 again, which is less than it was his rookie year. And I'm wondering, 
Britt Robson did a piece when Sam was the coach. And uh, Britt Robson, when he was working for MinPost, would always sits down with the coach, usually around January, if the coach is willing to do it. And he does like a state of the union. He did it with Tibbs last year. Okay. And he and when he did it with Sam, one of the things that impressed me most about that piece was Sam brought out big notebooks and he said, I have one of these for every player. And then he went through the specific things that he was working on with Levine. One of which was Levine, when he was a young player, would catch the ball and he had a habit of always dribbling. So he would dribble and pick it up. Now he lost his dribble. Or he would dribble for no reason. And he would never catch and shoot. And he said, that's a big problem for him. He has to learn to catch and shoot and only use the dribble when he wants to go somewhere. And by the end of the year in watching Levine, I noticed he wasn't doing that. He had fixed that problem. Hmm. So in other words, Sam was was working specifically on things these players could do to improve. And I guess I wonder if he's doing that with Wiggins, because I'm not seeing it. If he is, it's not paying off. And I've heard Richard Pitino talk about that. And I get the sense that maybe, Thib- maybe Thibodeau just thinks, well, these guys are NBA players. But when you have guys that came in as one and dones, they're 22, 23 years old, and you see some guys really work on their game. Cat is very skilled. You saw Kevin Love work on his game. Wiggins doesn't strike me as a guy that's naturally going to do that. He strikes me as a guy that the coach needs to push that out of him, and I don't know yes, that he does. That's what we talked about yesterday. Yeah, and I don't think that Tibbs is doing any. If he is, it's not working. And so to me, the focus of the team is now all on Jimmy Butler. And while that might get you a couple of more wins this year, how is that going to be long-term for this team? Here's Okay, so here's, here's my, I guess if you want to call it a counterpoint, it's not really a counterpoint. Last year, when Tom Thibodeau was putting the ball in the hands of Andrew Wiggins to force him to become a player that improves and tries to make himself better, everybody was mad at him for doing that. I'm still mad at him for doing that, and I'll tell you why. Because that's not what he's good at. Which, what he, In other words, he was misguided. What Wiggins is good at is 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 cutting and getting him the ball on the and, move and going getting to the, to the rim. Yes. yes. But 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 I agree. He, he at least had the ball in his hands for some good. But but now you see it's always Butler. And I don't blame him because Butler's going to be a lot better at it than Wiggins. But it is it is kind of frustrating. But we, we, we might get in this more because we've got to take a break because Herm's coming up. But first, before we get to Herm, none other than uh, Kenny Olson bring us the traffic. Talking purple right now on the ride with Royce. You play to win the game. Hello. It's former player and coach turned ESPN NFL analyst Herm Edwards. Welcome to Herm Edwards. Uh, now Arizona State head football coach, right, Herm? Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. We've been through the last two weeks of recruiting and I've been making home visits and <laughs> we had signing day today and um, signed um, uh, what, 11 out of the 12 guys we were after on this early signing day. So it ended up being a pretty good day for us. What is that like to get back into it? Now you, you were never hit a college coach before that I'm aware well, of. I was actually. Oh, you were? Yeah. And, and, so what's it like to get back into the recruiting business? Tough well, work, I bet. A lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot. It really is. I mean, you got to enjoy going into those homes, you know, meeting the families, and you can see the the gleam in the family's eyes along with the young man. You know, this is a big decision for these guys. I mean, yeah. You, know, you got all these people recruiting them, and everybody's telling them this and that. And for some of these young people, some of these homes, it'll be the first time a uh, uh, a person uh, from from their family actually went to college to to get a degree and to become a student athlete. You know, it's, it's an exciting moment for a lot of kids. Now, we'll get to the, I want to get to the NFL, and I, and I kind of want to start with the sure. Steelers and uh, Patriots game. 
uh, which was just, you know, uh, it's pretty much everything you want to see in an NFL game, including controversy at the end. And I guess that I'm in the minority on this one, Herman. I wonder what your take is as a former head coach. While the catch rule might be a ridiculous rule, okay, the one the one thing it has in its favor is it's very people say it's complicated. No, it's a very simple rule. If if you're going to the ground in the process of the catch and you don't take several steps in between, you have to hold it through the ground. And every time I see a replay of one of these plays from Adam Thielen a couple weeks ago when he bobbled it and then rolled out of bounds, and I said that's not a catch, to Jesse James the other day going back to Des Bryant, uh, every time I see the play, as soon as I see the replay, I go, that's not a catch. In other words, if Jesse, it's very, in other words, what I'm saying is the one thing this rule brings is certainty, right? And I guess I'm surprised that so many players haven't been coached to understand the certainty. And I read a, a news item this week where Belichick has coaches his players, and I've said this too, we saw this with David Carr in another matter, that I would I would not let my players extend the ball at the goal line unless it was fourth down because the risk is too great. And if Jesse James had just thought, I'm going to get down, I'm going to catch the ball, and then I'll roll into the end zone, and he knew that extending it was going to risk it not being a catch, he might or he could have rolled into the end zone, and I'm wondering, as frustrating as that rule is for people, what is your thoughts on it? And as a coach, the fact that it's at least predictable would seem to give me some comfort as a coach. It's something you could coach around. Well, yeah, you 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 can coach around it, and you're right. And, and I think it's like anything in football. You know, you never coach players to to play bad, and you coach situations in football, but emotions get involved in it and you know and when your emotions get involved in it sometimes um you make bad decisions and you talked about at the goal line and and that's very important i think in today's game the catastrophic plays that have happened at the goal line with the ball either not hitting trying to reach out to the pylon or we fumble it to the back of the end zone it's not all of a sudden you don't score you know we've seen it numerous times over and over again and then you see the play where all of a sudden the catch is debated. Is it, did it hit the ground? Did it not hit the ground? Well, the camera says it did. And according to what look you get at the camera and how fast it runs, if we slow it all the way down, I mean, all these things become a part of it. I, I think it's, for me, what, what I don't like about it is that when a play like that occurs, whether it's the Pittsburgh play or the Carolina play, um, when the game is over, that's all we talk about. Yep. <laughs> you know, you saw this great game unfold. Yes. With two quarterbacks going back and forth. And I mean, we're, I mean, if you're at home, you're not even sitting down. You're standing up going, look at this. <laughs> yeah. This is the National Football League, right? And then when it ends, it's like, you don't talk about these two quarterbacks, what they just accomplished. It's like, it's the one play. Absolutely. It is. The league probably, there is a bad perception on it, and there's probably something they have to do. And I got a question for you as somebody who watches the NFL probably closer than I do. And I don't really care that Harris, as a Vikings fan, I care that the Vikings, you know, get into the Super Bowl, and I love the right. way. Harrison Smith is playing. He could be on my team every day of the week, and I'm sure as a Absolutely. as a former that you think so. But I'm so here's my question to you. I'm not saying the voters are wrong, but the three safeties that were picked, we all know how great Earl Thomas at least was, and maybe but there's the three that were taken in the NFC over Harrison Smith are Earl Thomas, Landon Collins, and Malcolm Jenkins. Landon Collins of the Giants and Malcolm Jenkins of Philadelphia. So what, my question to you is: Are those three guys great players this year? Uh, and is Harrison Smith at least the equal, or is he better than them? What's your thought? If you were picking those guys and you're starting a team and you had those four safeties to pick, who would you pick first? Oh, boy. 
Um, Probably Earl Thomas. He's the more, what I would say, more complete guy Mm -hmm. with things he can do, obviously. Uh, Covering-wise, you know, he's a good tackler. Uh, He has great range. I mean, he can come down in the box and play some man-to-man. So, you know, he's probably the more, I wouldn't say complete, but probably has an edge. Uh, Harrison, I think, is, you know, you talk about strength, um, you know, willing to come down in the box, um, has great range. Look, they, they, they all are, are, are top-of-the-line players. I, I think what happens to us sometimes is when we look at guys at positions, I've always said this, you know, as we pick these positions, sometimes, you know, we have to look at, you know what, let's just pick good football players and don't place them. He's a strong safety. He's a free safety. He's a secondary player. Mm-hmm. Let's just pick secondary players. Don't worry about if he's a corner or not, or he's a strong safety because that, that, that kind of skews guys some every once in a while. Cause we have this mindset of this. Look, he's a secondary player. Is he a great player? All four of those guys are great players. And maybe one of the corners this year didn't play as well. So it doesn't matter. Just put the eight secundary guys back there. So these are the eight guys we picked. And I'll, let me ask you another question coming off Pittsburgh. Uh, and I actually heard Ryan Clark on ESPN talk about maybe the a weakness in the Patriots offense. And, and here's what Ryan Clark said. He said that the reason the Dolphins were able to beat the Patriots as they played is that you just can't play zone against Tom Brady. you got you got to put press coverage on the receivers and hope they can beat you. And, of course, when the Dolphins beat the Patriots, the, the, the Patriots didn't have Gronk. Okay, and so right. the Steelers, who play a lot of zone, decided to play to kind of have that same strategy to really play press coverage, and it worked on everybody, with the exception Gronk. of Gronk, who just destroys everybody in that. And so, I guess my question to you is: Are the is that a weakness of the Patriots that you can stop their other receivers? And if so, if you could play man to man on the other receivers and somehow come up with a way to at least new, not let Gronk catch for 180 yards, maybe catch for 80 yards that that might be a, 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 a formula to at least give yourself a shot at slowing down that Patriots offense. Yeah, and, and I think the main formula, and, and that's right, I mean, it, it stopped, you know, if you can play man-to-man on those guys to stop the short throws yep. of Brady getting the ball out of his hand, but the key is to rush him inside. And that's where, when you think about uh, Miami, uh, you know, those guys, Nagama and those guys rush inside. They get him off his mark. Mm-hmm. He was he was what he was zero for eleven on third down. Wow! Yeah. And, and for some reason they played bad down there every year. They do. The end of the season, going into that game, they were Miami had beat them three out of four times. And I believe Brady overall after that game is seven and nine in Miami. I mean, yeah. which is shocking that Brady would have a so losing just, record anywhere to know, anybody. Like some yes, yeah, like sometimes it's just they got your number, man. <laughs> but the key is this: when they lost that game, I said. That's not good. How many times have you seen the Patriots lose two games in a row? Exactly. Exactly. Well, we remember the old Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah. when Belichick said that after they got after the Dolphins a couple of years ago, or after the uh, Patriots got drilled by the Chiefs. Uh, the Vikings, uh, you know, I, I, I'm as a Vikings fan, I mean, they're playing the Packers and the Bears, and I'm not assuming mm-hmm. they're going to win, but I am. So I'm kind of looking forward to the playoffs. And I guess my thought is, 
I think Nick Foles is going to do a, a, an admirable job with the Eagles. He's He's been there before. Right. He's done it before. They've got a good offense. But if I'm an Eagles fan, I'd be worried about my defense. Uh, you know, they lost oh. at Seattle. They, they gave up a ton of points to a very good Rams team. I mean, we know that. And then they gave up a ton of points to a very crappy Giants team. Uh, yeah. What are you seeing in the Eagles' defense? Because they had a very good defense heading into these three games. What's yeah. happened to their defense the last well, three Well, their secondary, you know, is kind of young. Uh, we know that, and and they want they, they've had some spurts to whereas they played pretty well, and for some reason um, that hasn't occurred in the last couple of weeks, and and that's not a good that's not a good mantra for them because when you give up that many yards and that many points to the Giants with basically not a number one receiver, that's not very good. Okay, so you know if you're them, you're a little bit concerned, and it's their front. I mean, they got a nice front. Uh, of guys where they can they can platoon guys to rush the quarterback, but when that doesn't take place and you don't get time, they can be exposed in the back end, you know. And that's that's a little bit of their flaw. And that was going into the season; everyone felt that way too, and it settled down early. But now, all of a sudden, it's kind of reared its head again. So, because of that, would you now say that you don't necessarily view the Eagles as the uh, as the favorite well, in the NFC? I, I view this. When, when Wentz went down, I said this, the Eagles basically have become the Minnesota Vikings in this sense. They're playing with the backup quarterback. And if he can just not lose the game and not try to win the game, they'll be okay. You know, as Keenum has gone on, every week we were waiting for the shoe to fall off, and it never did. And then he had a oops a couple weeks ago, and everyone said, oh, that's the game. But other than that, he's been pretty consistent. They've got an outstanding defense, and he knows that that can protect him. Philadelphia, going into the prior to the last two weeks, everyone felt like they had the same comparable maybe defense where they could run the ball and play good enough defense. But all of a sudden, that last game against the Giants, now you kind of scratch your head. So for me, home field advantage, if Minnesota has that, they're the ones that you got to beat. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the other two teams amongst the group that are going to make the playoffs that really have stout defenses are the Panthers and yeah. the Rams, right? I mean, the, yeah. the, you know, and, and the Saints defense is better than it's been, but but I think when you're talking about really stout defenses, right. you know, the Vikings, and I'll tell you, you know, I was very impressed with the Panthers' defense when I watched the Vikings yeah. play them, and we know the Rams have a great defense. Yes, no doubt. And then, you know, it's kind of ironic because as much as we want to tout these offenses, good defense still gets you in playoffs, and... And they can win Super Bowls for you. <laughs> well, Herm, thanks a lot for joining us on Recruiting Day. Congratulations on the recruits you got down there in Tempe. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure Royce will talk to you next week. Thanks. Okay, partner. Thank thanks. you. Herm Edwards, what a pro. He gets a new job. It's National Signing Day. And, you know, he talks about the most important thing as a player, he said, was what? He said this on ESPN for years. Showing up. Yep. Never missed a practice. What did I tell you? Never missed a game. When we were setting up for the show today, I said, hey, he's not even on TV anymore, but he has honored his commitment with the show. That is Herm Edwards to a T, that he's going to honor it regardless of the money or anything else. He That's Herm. He's going to always show up, and we thank him for that. When we come back, uh, we'll have a little uh, John Hyde update, and then the hockey half hour with Jess Myers. Give us 30 minutes, and we'll give you everything covered. What is uh, slashing? Slashing is like that. Jess Myers now joins the Ride with Royce right for this edition of the Hockey Half Hour. 
Korzanowski and Jess Myers here, uh, the Hockey Half Hour, and it's good. I might even... Uh, Scott, on Sunday, I pretended to be you for two hours. That's right. So it makes sense that you're pretending to be Pat and I'm here with you. There, so, it, it, that, I, how'd I, it go? How'd I, it go, I, filling I, in? I thought it went pretty well. Good. Um, you know, a lot of Vikings talk leading up to to, to what became yeah. a, a pretty big game. I did manage to stump Derek Wetmore. I'm pretty proud of that. You know, our Twins expert yes. here at 1500. I asked him this question. I'll ask you the same right. thing. Well, okay. you'll be able to stump me. I Joe, don't... Joe Nathan, Tory Hunter, now Fernando Rodney. Greatest all-time twin with two first names. Who do you think? Between those three? Between those three, yeah. Fernando Rodney, Tory Hunter. Joe Nathan. I think because I really I I would have to say Fernando Rodney. Yeah, you mean the greatest twin, but but I like those two just, first names. Just the two first names. And I get a kick out of how people were all bent, are all bent out of shape as soon as the twins signed him. Not because he's wild, not because he's the guy that remember Jim Leland left in for four innings in the famous game one sixty two. Uh, it, it's that he's he wears his hat sideways. That probably bothers <laughs> Reavers. I'm guessing. The, I will say this: It did until you un- saw the reason. Until I, until Manny explained the reason that. But he let's does say it. he's just doing the. Just say let's say he's like he's kind of one of those guys. Put your hat on straight. He's a guy that likes the hat sideways because that's how the rappers were. Let's put, say that put, was his reason. Maybe you wouldn't want him to do it. Put your hat on. Straight. I don't know. I, it doesn't bother. Because we signed two guys that do that. Because Pineda does that too. Oh, does he? Yes. If they could have picked up CC Sabathia back in the oh, day, I think God. they would have let him wear I, his I hat. Think they how, I, yeah, I don't care how they wear the hat. So so we'll talk about that. But I was. I do sometimes watch the wild and you know, and, and, and I've, here's the couple of things that I've watched in the wild this year. One that boost Bruce Boudreau did something I've been asking Thibodeau to Thibodeau to do forever, which is actually have guys that will analyze uh, metrics and, and, and advanced statistics. And because there's all this data out there now in all these sports, the NBA has websites that will show you every player movement sure. and how they're moving. And what you, you can find almost any stat you want. And I think that if you're a coach or a general manager and you aren't in tune with those stats, you're committing malpractice. That doesn't have to. But Boudreaux went to his stats people and said, why are we so bad in overtime? And I remember <laughs> I did a whole show. I said, or a whole segment. I said, why are they so bad? And they came. Now, it might. It's a small set, but they're like. Five and zero oh since then, maybe a cup, but they haven't lost in overtime in the last five times they've right. gone overtime. And he listened and made a change, right to that. Where the big, the big development, and it looks weird when you see it. He's putting two defensemen right. and one forward out. And then when they get possession, the first time I saw it, I'm like, what are they doing? Are they not trying to score? But it works for some reason. It it's is crazy be- because if and that makes sense because if you get possession. It's, it's all, easy to hold possession, and you can make possession. a and you can make a change. Yeah. If you don't get possession, now you've got two defensemen, so that makes sense if you think about it, right? And obviously, these stats guys had seen stats that indicated that. We were talking off air about advanced stats a little bit and Corsi and all those things. Yeah. Okay, this is what I love about it, and I'm all for advanced stats. I'm all for looking at the game in new ways. That's fantastic. It goes back to simple puck possession, and this goes back literally sixty years to when the Soviet. Hockey yes. machine first started, okay? Anatoly Tarasov, one of the most fascinating players and uh, people in sports history, was a, a Soviet bureaucrat, and they handed him a book and said, here, teach our guys to play hockey, and we want to be the best hockey program in the world. And five years later, starting from zero, Anatoly Tarasov had built the Soviet Union into the greatest hockey power in the world, and he did it by simply figuring out the other team cannot do anything if they don't have the puck. So... That's Hang a, on to the puck. You know, that is so wise because there was a guy, and I can't, I, I can't remember the guy's name, and he ended up becoming the owner, I think, of uh, maybe Oklahoma City. 
and he came. He was he was from another country. Brilliant guy, a systems analyst, knew yep. how to. Re, and he coached his his daughter. They couldn't find anybody to coach a basketball team. This guy knew nothing about basketball, so he got a book and he studied something. And it said he says in eighth grade basketball, we determined that if we could force turnovers and shoot nothing but layups. We would win. So all he did was press, said don't do anything but layups, and his team won the league by a long way because he figured it out. And then he became in love with basketball and bought an NBA team. And they hated him for he's it, a rich, of course, The other because, teams you know, did. Yes, yeah. they did. But but the thing I read about the Wild this year, and maybe we'll, we'll get to and take a break and come back to get your answer, is the Wild last year were somewhat unconventional in that there's this stat out there called Corsi, which is basically puck possession. Right. The Wild last year in puck possession were 20th in the league, yet were the, had one of the best records in the regular season. And I don't know that puck possession is why they they did poorly in the playoffs. I don't think so. In fact, there were other stats that I remember reading before going into the playoffs that indicated the Wild were going to be successful in the playoffs. Then they ran into a very hot goalie and things happened. That, which It doesn't guarantee you're going to win, but it gives... The, the Wild were a heavy favorite based on these stats. This year, the Wild are really struggling with puck possession and shot attempts. They're one of the... They're 28th... Uh, they're, they're very low in puck possession. Yep. Uh, they're, they're 28th in the league. They're like 23rd in shots attempted, and they're 28th in shots on goal. And the only reason that they're even, I think they're borderline playoff position, I think they have the last playoff position, is because their defense has been so good. Their defense is fantastic. And, you know, their, their goaltending's been slightly below average, but not much. So so why do I keep hearing complaints about their defense? It's, it's In other words, this is not a formula that, for Wild fans, is a good indication that this team, in other words, the way they're playing now, they might actually be outperforming where they should be, as opposed to the other way around. What's your thought? They might be playing over their heads a little bit. You see, uh, and that barely course, in what, the I love, what I love about this is the irony of it. Is you know, for eight years of Jacques Lemaire, all we heard is, "Man, they're boring." Man, they're yeah, they play great defense, but they're boring. They don't shoot the puck enough. Now you've got a team under Bruce Boudreau that has some offensive potential. You've got guys like Jason Zucker who, when he has the puck on his stick, you're not going for a beer right at that moment. I mean, you know, something right. exciting is going to happen, and. They're not putting pucks on net enough, and that's what you know. That's what the stats are showing, which which drives fans crazy. How many times have you been at a hockey game where they're on the power play, they're moving the puck, they're in complete control, and all you can hear is the fan in the third row going, "Shoot, shoot the puck!" Now, we got to take a break. Shoot. But how about what was a beautiful goal when Ryan Suter a couple games ago to get the? I think it was an overtime. No, it wasn't an overtime, but he comes down late in the game. And he, and he, you know, Ryan Suter does. You know, Ryan Suter always looks like he's moving in slow motion, right? He's never in a hurry to go anywhere, yep. good and bad. And he makes a move, and the goalie falls down, and he has the whole net wide open. You remember this play? Yes. And he just slowly skates around the net, and then he throws it to Stahl, who had the open net. And you're going, okay, they scored, but you got to take the shot. <laughs> we'll, we'll take a break. We're going to get an update from Kenny. We'll come back with Jess Myers in the Hockey Half Hour here on the Ride with Royce. Taking the ride with Royce. Whoa, this car just goes fast. On 1500 ESPN. Getting you caught up on the week in pucks. It's the Hockey Half Hour with Jess Myers. Combination that requires the highest level of conditioning, speed, creativity. On the ride with Royce. You know, I enjoy talking to Jess Myers because I've only got so much time. And this time of year, I'm going to watch Vikings, I'm going to watch Wolves, and I'm going to watch Go for Basketball. So... I, I, I will watch some wild, but it's kind of hit and miss. And I, I, I like, it's not that I don't like hockey, but I do. And I'll go to an occasional game. But I am curious in when I've watched the wild play and I will allow for the possibility that I'm a moron, uh, is you, here's what I see in Matt Dumba is a guy with a big shot, can really skate, has great, he's shown over the last three weeks, 
scoring two overtime goals. One was kind of lucky, kind of bounced, but the other one was a sweet move. You, right? know, what, you know what they call lucky goals? Goals. So, yeah, they yeah. do. And he, they he all count for net. one point. Remember, because he was he was he was out there when they had the two defensemen, but yep. he didn't really skate like a defenseman. No. And all I ever hear people criticizing him because when you're in, when you make a mistake as a defenseman, there's nobody behind you but the goalie, and he's led to a couple of goals. And I thought to myself, well, Lou Nanny used to go from defense to offense and back and forth. Brent Burns used to. How come I've never heard any discussion? Maybe it's because I haven't paid attention. That I've never I've seen some of it this week. But I don't ever hear a lot of discussion about would it make sense to move Dumba for, to a forward. And I'm wondering my right that I never hear that discussion. And if I don't hear that discussion, why is that never brought you up? You rarely hear that discussion. And let me let me take you in the Wayback Machine about 10 years. Remember a guy named Aaron Ness who won the Mr. Hockey Award? He's from Roseau. Uh, played for the Gophers. Pretty good, pretty good defenseman. Undersized guy. Kind of a Jared Spurgeon type. Okay. After his first year of college hockey, he looked like he was out of place playing defense in college hockey. He'd been a star in Roseau. You know, great player. He's wound up playing some games in the NHL. So, you know, he's he's made a career out of this. I asked some friends of mine who coach a different college hockey team. I said, okay, theoretically, if you're Don Lucia, you look at this kid, he's undersized, great offensive player, but just doesn't seem to fit on a college blue line. Would you move him to forward? Would you make him play offense or, or at least let him have that opportunity to play offense? And one of these coaches said to me, I'll never forget this. He said, if a guy has played defense that long, they get over the blue line with the puck and a lot of times they don't really know what to do with it because they've never been given that responsibility. It's more than just switching positions. Sure, it's, oh, I get that. It's relearning the game from that level. So that's why people don't like to do it. Plus the other reason, you know, the guys who drafted Matt Dumba to play defense for this team, and he, he does play some good defense. He is a defensive liability a lot, but he's got an amazing shot, and when he unleashes it, it's fun to watch. If you move him at this point, you're admitting you made a mistake. You're admitting, you know, we drafted a guy and he doesn't work at this position. And, you know, nobody wants to do that, obviously. So, And that is similar to what I think is just because even though it's the hockey half hour, uh, where you watch Andrew Wiggins not even giving any effort, why wouldn't Tibbs say to him, you know what, Andrew, uh, you're still our future, but I'm going to bench you until you start playing harder and you're going to start doing it or you're going to sit on the bench. And my reasoning why I think he doesn't do that, because if anybody else other than but, you know, any any bench guy makes a mistake, Tibbs just pulls him. Uh, he had, they have no leash. I think it's because he's the guy that gave him the big contract. So that's interesting. Now, Alex Stalock. Uh, Alex Stalock is a blast to watch. Okay, because oh, he's great. Because he's he's the old style goalie. Yeah. Okay, he reminds me a lot of Don Beaupre. How he used to play when he the floppers, the athletic. He he during timeouts he skates to the boards. He's all over the ice. He's great with the puck. He's he looks like he's out of position. I mean, he's the he's you know. I guess you generally think when you have a goalie, you kind of want your goalie to be boring, right? Because he's just right. there. And, and Dubnik is very much the modern goalie. Big positions takes. Is Stalock a good goalie or isn't he? He sure is fun to watch, and he's very athletic and very uh, acrobatic. The word you hear from goalie coaches is you want quiet. You want him yes. to be quiet. That you, ain't Alex Stalock. You, you want it? him in position. You want him positionally sound. You don't want to see big sprawling saves. You don't want to see him stacking the pads because that means you're out of position. Yes. If you're in position, if you got the angles covered, all you have to do is minimal effort of you know moving your blocker a little bit, moving your glove a little bit. Goaltending should be easy if you're in the right yep. position. Now, I'm not saying Alex Stalock is out of position, but he doesn't concentrate on his position that much. He has always been a puck handler. If you go back, if you can find the tape somewhere, find a tape of Alex Stalock when he played at South St. Paul High School and led them, the Packers, to their last state tournament appearance, 2004 now, 13, you know, more than a dozen years ago. 
he was like a third defenseman out there to the point where he would get the puck and he wasn't content just to make the save. He was going to skate to the top of the circles and make an outlet pass and, and score. Now, you don't see as much of that at the NHL level. His game has calmed down somewhat, but... I will say against Edmonton last week, he became the first Minnesota Wild goalie in history of the franchise, 17 years, to record a shot on goal. So, you know, <laughs> give give him credit. He's fun to watch. He I is. mean, you know, good story, local kid. He, you know, he, he's happy to be home. And he ain't yeah. Darcy Kemper. No. Which is a, which is a positive. Although, especially. Darcy Kemper has been rejuvenated in Los Angeles. Well, good. He's, I he's, mean, he's having a good year. Darcy Kemper struck me as a guy who had ability. He, wasn't he like a second-round pick or yep. something, which yep. is high for a goalie? Uh, but he had some Blair Walsh issues. Let me just put it. He had some mental issues that went that he had and, lack of confidence, which Stalock doesn't. He seems probably real you know Kemper too probably thrown into the fire a little bit too early. Yeah, a little you know, bit you, too early. The the, uh, the the rookie NFL quarterback syndrome where you know you just can't throw him in there. Hey, quickly speaking of uh, correcting your mistakes, the New York Islanders after what two years in Brooklyn have admitted, yeah, this isn't working out. They're getting a new arena at Belmont Park. They decided today they're uh, they're well, moving back out. Uh, they got to go back out to the island. Well, I see. Okay, this is a misnomer. People say. The Islanders are moving back to Long Island. Well, technically, Brooklyn is on Long Island, so oh. you can't really say that, but they're going out to the suburbs oh, back, where they kind of belong. I we'll think. take a break, and when we come back, Jess will give us an update on what's coming up next on The Great Outdoors. Correct. There you go. I knew, I knew what the show is. I don't even know what my show's name is on Sunday. got about two minutes, Jess, so before we get to your update on what you're doing in The Great Outdoors coming up uh, just after the top of the hour, um, a minute on Gopher Puck. Uh, I know a lot of people are pretty high on this team's talent, and what Middlestad is is this tremendous one of the best players. Absolutely, and he's lived up to the hype from what I've heard. I mean, it, it, are the Gophers? They're young, I guess, but they are often. Are they a team that could uh, could make the uh, Frozen Four? This is going to be the worst Gopher hockey year in about six years, and here's for the simple reason: they're not going to win the conference this year. They've won it six years in a yeah. row between the WCHA and the Big Ten. Notre Dame has just run away and hid with the Big Ten. With that said, the Gophers are still absolutely in the mix for they're the like NCAA tournament. They're like 7th or 8th and Yeah, and they're, 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 they're right called. in that mix. And by the way, uh, Casey Middlestead, we got to congratulate him. He's playing for Team USA. World Junior Championships are coming up next week, starting in Buffalo. They have an exhibition game tonight. And we have an all-Minnesota top line for uh, Bob Motzko, who's coaching the team. Uh, Casey Middlestead centering Riley Tufty from UMD and Kiefer Bellows, who's uh, an Edina kid. And so, is, where's that game? That game is being played in Jamestown, New York. The tournament is being played in the Buffalo area. And uh, USA trying to repeat as gold medalist. Bob Motzko coached him to a gold medal last year, trying to do it again. It's rare that they have the same coach two years in a row. So they, the Gophers will make the tournament, right? Because they're Gophers the, should make the tournament, uh, barring the, a second-half collapse. And now the Big Ten now has seven teams in it, right? Because Is this Notre Dame's first year in the Big Ten? Notre Dame's first year, and, and they've they started out 8 0. I mean, and just they, run away with the thing. And how's Penn State doing? Penn State's pretty good. They've, they've Made the built. NCAA tournament last year for the first time, and, and right. you know, he's competitive right away. Look for Illinois, by the way. That's my scoop. Illinois will be the next Big Ten team oh, that good, adds, good for adds them. the sport. Uh, now, what do you got coming up on the great outdoors with Dennis Anderson? We're going to talk deer hunting a little bit. It's going to get cold. People start thinking about deer numbers. You know, when, uh, it, when it gets really bad in the winter, they start talking about deer feeding and deep snow and all of that. So, we're going uh, to have Craig Enwall from the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association on to kind of talk about what the story is there. Quick hockey tip, by the way, for everybody. If you get a chance, go see Edina. They are ridiculous. They're averaging like eight goals a game, 8-0 and oh so far. Just an incredible high school hockey team. Well, fun, it's about time they had some success. Yeah, absolutely. So the, those plucky underdogs from Edina finally got something good going. Exactly. Thanks, Jess. Great hockey half hour. Stay tuned for the great outdoors. And all you Ride with Royce fans, thanks for tolerating me. If you're still here, you did, I guess, for the time you're going. And, you know, I didn't. I, I kind of lived up to Wiggy Free Wednesday. I didn't say too much. Only uh, a half a 
segment, I'm proud of you. Yeah, we'll talk to you Sunday. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.